We live in a thrilling age, a day of dramatic possibilities, but also one of peril and decay. In the words of John Doan, our times are pregnant with an old, with the old twins, hope and fear. One of our eminent scientists became so disturbed about the world in which we live that he said, if the planets of the universe are inhabited, then this earth is their insane asylum. The most disturbing aspect of our day is the failure of Christians to be the preserving salt that decadent society desperately needs. The Christian pulpit is to be indicted because too often we have been confused, uncertain, timid, and stymied rather than a voice crying in the wilderness saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Now I'm not blind to the numerous other contributing factors to the predicament of modern man, but as the case is reviewed, we cannot deny that the failure of the Church of Jesus Christ, and particularly, Evangelical Christianity is a basic cause of our Western bankruptcy and chaos. One of the main reasons for our suspension is that the church has not, in the power of the Holy Spirit, lived and proclaimed the whole gospel to the whole man and to the whole world. The average Christian today does not understand the seriousness of living a life that will please Jesus Christ. We have a shallow concept of salvation. Consequently, the gospel has little or no effect on the society in which we live. I want to read 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness and reverence in the fear of the Lord. And then there is another passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. These scriptures represent 
a large part of the Bible that calls us to experience what is called sanctification or growing in Jesus Christ. That term sanctify means to be set apart, to consecrate. It comes from the same root word as do the words saint and holy. And it appears frequently in the scriptures. Every Bible student knows that it is used in the Bible in several different ways. But I speak of it in the sense it is used here and set forth in its true and understanding context. Dr. Strong, the great Bible scholar, once wrote, sanctification is the continuous operation of the Holy Spirit by which the holy disposition imparted in regeneration is maintained and strengthened. And so, my friend, sanctification does not mean perfection reached, but the progress of the life in Christ toward perfection and holiness. Sanctification is the Christianizing of the Christian. Emil Bruner once said, to be a Christian is to share in something which has happened, which is happening, and which will happen. The Bible speaks of salvation in the past, present, and future tenses. The true Christian can say, I have been saved from the punishment of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin and I shall be saved one day from the very presence of sin. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in the hope of glory. The words we often apply to this phase of salvation is justification, sanctification, and glorification. The truth of justification by faith broke upon Martin Luther and in his and the doctrine became a trumpet whence he blew soul-winning importance of this doctrine. This is good, but justification by faith is but a fragment of a bigger whole. It is the first step of the journey, not the whole road. Although each phase of salvation is inseparably connected, yet many have not gotten beyond justification. To them, 
Growing in Christ means only salvation rather than the true meaning of Bible justification, sanctification, and glorification. The cross is certainly the heart of the gospel, but friend, more is intended than it should be a fire escape. New Testament salvation not only affects eternal life, but all of life. We do injustice to the Bible doctrine of justification when we do not see that from the new birth, there must come a cleansing, changes, and a clearing of the past. We need more emphasis upon justification by faith, but we need to give parallel attention to sanctification. Several years ago, there was a ship by the name of African Queen that sank off the coast of North Carolina. It needed to be raised, brought into port, and made fast to the dock. But she also needed costly and lengthy repairs. She was safe, but not sound. There must be not only a birth, but a growth in our lives in Christ. We need to be raised from that life of darkness and sin to the life that Christ would have us to live. This growth should take place in the daily life. This inward improvement, if it's genuine, will emerge in an outward manifestation manifestation in the whole realm of human nature, your soul, your spirit, and your body. Growth becomes increasingly necessary if you are to be holy and blameless and pleasing to the Lord. The test of whether one is growing in Christ is his daily life. The old preacher J.M. Buckley was once asked to conduct an experience meeting at a church in the South. A woman stood up and gave her testimony about how she was enjoying her religion and the precious hours that she had with her Savior. When Dr. Buckley said, that's good, sister. Now, how about the practical side? Does your religion make you a more considerate and loyal wife? Does it make you a better mother? About that time, Dr. Buckley felt a yank 
at his coattail. And the pastor whispered earnestly, Pastor, press them questions. Doctor, press them questions. That woman is my wife. <laughs> Sanctification is continuous. Never completed in this life. So sanctification is not automatic, nor is it attained in one act of consecration, as some would teach. A sincere, intelligent study of the Bible refutes the erroneous view of antimoism and perfectionist. Antimoism holds to the belief that since death satisfied the demands of the law, believers are free from obligation to observe it. An old preacher expressed the view when he said, you can rip and you can tear, but you can cuss and you can swear, but you're just as sure of heaven if you've gone there. Not according to what Paul says in Romans 6. Let no sin reign in your, model, in your mortal body. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. The perfectionist holds that the Christian may become perfectly free of sin in his daily life. This was a strong conviction of John and Charles Wesley and is propagated today by our holiness friends. Life's experiences as well as the scriptures refute this conscience stifling, scale sliding holiness that closes its eyes to reality. I have not sinned for some time, a woman said to Mr. Spurgeon. Then you must be very proud of it, he replied. Indeed, I am proud, she said. Christian holiness consists not only in, the, in external works and abstinence from certain worldly practices, but also it involves pure thoughts, impulses, and affections of the soul. J.B. Phillips reminds us that one of the clearest evidences of corruption is failure to love. Do not misunderstand and underestimate the grace of God. An outward and inward manifestation of sanctification is necessary because one, the nature of God requires it. Holiness is the excellence and honor of divine character. God is rich in mercy, but also glorious in holiness. Two, the commandments of God requires it. 
Righteousness is found not only in the law, but also in the gospel. Three, it is required by the mediation of Christ. His whole purpose was to recover us from a state of sin, to recover us to a life of wholeness which has been lost. Christ died to procure righteousness, and, but not secure an indulgence for an unholy living. For it is required in order to glorify Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Without outward and inward improvements, we disgrace grace. Instead of glorifying the sinless Savior, who still says, follow me, we bring shame upon his name. Five, the normal life involves growth. The Christian life is from the rill to the river, from the river to the ocean, from the acre to the oak, from the bloom to the fruit. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear is symbolic words of what needs to take place in our lives. But how does sanctification come about in the life of a believer? Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Sanctification is the work of God, but we must give ourselves to the disciplines, to the means whereby we can experience what God wants to take place in our lives. You see, God is working in each of our lives through the Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Yes, the Holy Spirit and the word of God is the means. And so as we give ourselves in this respect, then it is that God brings about changes and those improvements in our lives. This means that there must be continual surrender and dedication. We're commanded to work out our salvation. 
And so there must be constant repentance, the study of the Bible, prayer for God to work in our lives, and for the power to do God's will. One submission and obedience to the scriptures determines the extent or work of God's spirit. Our part involves the rejection of sin and the weakness of the flesh and a dedication to the life that Jesus Christ has given us. Paul describes our duty in Colossians 3. We're told to put off the filthy garments of sin and put on the garments of right living, thinking, and service. Such efforts without giving ourselves to Bible study, prayer, and worship, and service is just an idle dream. It's hypocrisy. Not until one gives time for spiritual cultivation and concepts of the Christian development and by the fellowship and progress that the church will bring, we will not experience this spiritual mountain climbing. One day, a lad who lived next door to a great, thoughtful, sweet-inspired Christian asked if he could go fishing with the old man. As they found their place on the banks of the lake, God planted one of his fading masterpieces. The old man's son had just completed another journey and had shot his golden arrows across the sky. The reflections gave to the blue waters touches of silver that gleamed like jewels in a treasure chest. The hills across the way were dressed in their finest green robes. The birds, crickets, and splashing waves were beginning to tune to give their concert in the black velvet cathedral of night. The old man began to quote Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. He continued, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Well, when he finished, the little boy sitting beside him decided he had to ask the old man the question, Mister, can a man see God? There was silence for a long minute. It seemed that all nature was hushed and listening. The old man's eyes reddened and brimmed with tears. Those tears spilled down his cheeks. 
And then he said, Sonny, it's getting so. That's all I can see. Friend, as you get older, is God increasingly consuming your vision and making your life one that pleases him? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your plan, not only to justify us, but to change us and to make us like the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that day when we will be without sin in your presence in heaven itself. Now I pray for Christians who are struggling with temptation and sin. God, may this be a time of repentance and renewal and a commitment to those means of spiritual growth. I pray, Lord, that those who hear my voice will see the importance of the church, Christian fellowship and service. And Lord God, I pray for those who have never accepted Jesus as Savior. Oh, in my heart, I cry out for them to experience the new life in Christ, the joys that he gives, and the hope of eternal life. God, speak now and bring people to the cross of Jesus. Amen. My friend, thank you for listening today. And once again, if you have made a decision, write us or call us, and we'll be happy to share with you some literature that will help you in this new life in Christ. God bless. Have a great day.